Welcome to Technology and the Arts, a podcast exploring the connections between technology and art. Episode 72 of the podcast features lightly edited audio from a live Google Plus Hangout on Air conducted September 15, 2014. In this installment, we focus on community services provided through technology and art, how libraries, co-teaching and co-working opportunities, and public events such as Trenton, New Jersey's massively popular Art All Night use art and technology to bring communities together. All of this and more is just ahead on Technology and the Arts for Friday, September 19, 2014. Now here are your hosts, Brian Kelly and John Lamazny. Hello and welcome to another episode of Technology and the Arts. My name is Brian Kelly. And I'm John Lamazny. And together we are going to explore the connections between technology and art. And tonight we'll be focusing on art as community service. How libraries, co-teaching, co-working opportunities, and public events such as the massively popular Art All Night here in Trenton, New Jersey, uses art and technology to bring communities together. But before we get to that, John, it's good to see you again. How you doing? Doing great, Brian. Thanks for asking. So I wanted to talk about some of the things that were going on uh, right now, uh, tomorrow. In fact, I'm co-presenting and making on on the idea of making and open technologies in libraries tomorrow in Cherry Hill uh, for a an organization called NJLA, the New Jersey Library Association. Uh, currently, I'm working with libraries, businesses, and schools in the area uh, to migrate from other messaging solutions such as Microsoft and uh, related solutions to Google Apps for work and education. I continue to work with great clients like Sustainable Princeton, Sustainable Lawrence, and Grigstown Farm, all in the uh, central Jersey area to integrate technology into the work that they do. And I've been working to move clients from other solutions to WordPress or moving them from their existing WordPress installations, which have been overwrought with too many plugins and too much complexity to simpler solutions. Uh, also, I wanted to do a shout out to Known. Uh, Known is an indie web production, and it's a lot like WordPress, except that it uh, is a lot simpler. And it's also open source in the sense that uh, you can go and get the code and download it. But it's also like WordPress in that you have a uh, built-in uh, publishing option uh, that they host. Uh, the company is known, but the website is withknown.com, W-I-T-H-K-N-O-W-N.com. And what they're trying to do is essentially to recreate uh, Tumblr. They're, they're making a Tumblog that is open source, uh, that you can install on your own server. And I think that they might have something. I think they really might have something because as opposed to Tumblr, which is the reason that, um, the, the reason I don't push people towards Tumblr as a simple publishing solution is because uh, if they go with Tumblr, it means that their content is not theirs. It belongs to Tumblr. And while they might be able to get an export that is uh, 
a limited format of their content, it's not in any structured format. It's not as though with, uh, as with WordPress, you can export your entire site and get the entire site and install it on another system that is not WordPress. Tumblr is not like that. And right. so uh, Known is trying to simplify, trying to unclunkify WordPress. And I say that very uh, delicately because I don't think that WordPress is clunky if you are a larger organization. I think that WordPress is probably too much if you are just a simple simple individual who wants to put some stuff up that they found out on the web. Uh, that's really what Tumblr is for. The problem I have with Tumblr is that it's not open source and I really have no control over that content. And so the way that I've been doing uh, Tumblr is by publishing the WordPress, which then gets reposted to Tumblr. But that's essentially cross-posting. I really am excited about the possibilities with uh, Known, and uh, it remains to be seen whether or not it will be the right tool for me, but certainly as a secondary tool, I think it's perfect. So how are you doing? I'm doing great. <laughs> uh, thanks for asking. Um, yesterday, I participated in and completed the Atlantic City International Triathlon, which uh, I had been saying it, it, it was a one-mile swim followed by a 20-mile bike ride. And now, usually an international triathlon is the last event is a 10K run. Uh, however, there was sort of a last-minute decision. Uh, I guess it was a maybe a week or two before the race. It was in the athlete's guide, but I, I didn't really catch it until the night before the pre-race meeting when they announced it. Uh, they actually shortened the 10K, to a, which is 6.2 miles, to a five-mile run. So it wasn't the full 10K, but it was still, I mean, five miles is still a decent you know, run after a mile swim and a 20-mile bike ride. But, well, uh, I could possibly do. So... Uh, I, uh, I I finished basically around what I thought I would do. I, I mean, I figured I was going to be around three hours, and I my uh, total time was 3.04.33.9. So three hours, four minutes, 33 seconds, 33.9 seconds. Um, the swim was <laughs> – I mean, I, I knew the swim was going to be, you know, the most challenging part. The bike ride actually wound up being challenging because – you know, in that part of the Atlantic City Expressway, which we were riding on for the most part, you know, it, most people think of it as an east-west freeway or highway. Uh, but in that part where it's going away from Atlantic City, it's kind of going northwest-southeast. And the winds were like 70 miles an hour out of the north yesterday. So it was it was gusting pretty good as you're riding away from Atlantic City. And then we had to loop back. And when we had the wind at our back, it was fine. But then we, once we got to Atlantic City, we had to loop back and ride all the way back to where uh, we turned originally. So it was, bike ride was a little challenging, but uh, that was 108. Uh, my split for the bike was 108.52. And that's pretty much, you know, what I, what I usually ride. Uh, oh, the, so the mile swim took me almost an hour. It took me 52 minutes and 16 seconds. Congratulations. Um, 
Oh, thanks. But it, it was it was kind of funny because, you know, the first quarter mile, you know, I, I did pretty well. And then the, there was a turn and then you had to go th- this long straightaway to the to the next turn buoy. So that was like most of the race was this back straightaway. Uh, that was probably a half mile right there. And I, I thought in my head it was taking me a pretty long time. And when I got to the turn buoy, I realized why. It was because the current, I was going against the current, and it was actually pretty strong. And I didn't notice it until I was getting closer to the turn buoy, and I got to maybe like 50 feet away from it. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go all out, then recover a little bit, and head out, head back for the final quarter mile. And so I, I'm swimming as hard as I can. And it took me about five minutes to cover that 50 feet. Like, I just couldn't get any closer. This thing, I, I, I'd be coming up to sight after, like, swimming for, like, 30 seconds or whatever. And it just seemed like this buoy was not getting closer. Finally, I get around it. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to hang out here for a little bit and then try to finish strong. And there's a race staffer in a boat. You know, when you run these races, usually they're like, all right, good job, you know, not too far to go or something like that. They're always shouting encouragement. This guy in the boat has to be the honest one. He's like, you still got a long way to go, buddy. (laughs) I'm like, thanks. I'm like, I'm going to hop in the boat then. (laughs) So... So I finished the swim and, uh, you know, do the bike and uh, get the run in. So, you know, three hours, I, I, I finished down. I mean, these, this is like an elite. There, there's a lot of elite athletes, a lot of groups. There's a lot of college groups. Um, I mean, there were some professional, like, relay teams. and uh, I, So, I mean, it, 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 this was like a, a high-end event for me. So I, I knew I wasn't going to, you know, be anywhere in the t- top half or whatever. It wasn't like Heightstown where I was like the, the third best newcomer among male finishers. You know, I knew I wasn't going to get anywhere near there. So, but I figured three hours and th- that's where I finished. So I was happy with that. So I have a question. Yeah. Why, why do you do this? You know, it was something I... I just always wanted to do a triathlon. I was, I've always been intrigued with triathlons, but, you know, I just, you know, I never had the discipline and, you know, I had the time I was freelancing mostly. And, uh, you know, until recently, so I had the time to train. I had, I had the time to go to Mercer County you know, community college and, and train in the pool there in the early part of the year. And then that went away due to, various bouts of colds and, and heavy workloads. Um, so I just figured, you know, this year is going to be it. And I knew we were going to try to have another kid next year. So I figured this was my year. You know, Graham was a little bit older, where it was a little more manageable and just decided to do all these events this year. So that's why I did the broad street run. That's why I signed up for the half marathon, the Trenton half marathon in November, which is my next big event. Um, although there's a minor one I just want to talk about briefly before I talk about it in depth later for another reason. But, uh, and so I, I had only signed up for the Atlantic city international triathlon, but then I decided to do the Heightstown one as kind of like a warm up and to get me. Cause if I had gone into Atlantic city, if I had gone yesterday it, without doing the Heightstown triathlon, 
I probably would have freaked out. I probably would have never finished the swim. I probably would have dropped out because, you know, at least I knew what I was getting into. So I'm, I'm glad I did that. People were telling me you should do, you should do a sprint first. You do a, should do a sprint first. And I'm like, well, I don't. And then, you know, I, I, I came across the Heightstown one and I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. So I'm glad I did that because it, yesterday would have been a disaster. But um, so anyway, before the Trenton Half Marathon in November, uh, I'm doing a 5K tune-up run in early October. Uh, that's sort of connected to what we're going to be talking about later. It's the WXPN music, <laughs> the WXPN musicians on call benefit 5K at Penn Park, just outside the XPN Studios and World Cafe Live, and that's on October 5th. And briefly, because I'm going to be talking about it a little bit later, uh, Musicians on Call is a uh, program. It's actually, I think, run out of New York, but XPN has a partnership with that, with the main office in New York. Uh, it's a program that brings local musicians to hospitals throughout the Delaware Valley to provide live and recorded music to the bedsides of thousands of patients each year. So you can go to XPN.org for more information about the 5K and Musicians on Call, which Again, I'll talk about more later. So, but uh, unless there's anything else, I guess it's time to dive into our main topic for this episode, and that's uh, technology and art as part of community service programs. Um, a look at how it brings communities together um, in a variety of ways. Uh, John and I are big fans of Art All Night in Trenton, which takes place every June, right? That's right. And, um, you know, so that's that's one of the many things uh, we're going to discuss. But, um, John, I mean, you're you're kind of in the trenches in this because you do your public speaking and, and you work with libraries and uh, and other groups. So why don't you start us out here? So uh, the the prospect of talking about um, Art, uh, technology and art as community service, I thought that we ought to flip it just a little bit. Uh, I really think that we should be thinking about uh, community service as art with technology and um, sort of thinking about the way that technology can enable uh, community service and it can be artistic in its nature. Uh, in, in other words, the ways in which a community or culture could use technology in order to come together. And uh, we may be able to expand on that. But um, Princeton Public Library comes immediately to mind uh, when we were discussing this, that that's really my model for this. I, I think that it's a haven, uh, a, a, a sort of glorious space that makes use of uh, technology and art in order to create a community. And, um, for example, they have rotating art shows, of which uh, I was a part at one point um, through uh, the Princeton Arts Council, I believe. And uh, they also have co-working and collaboration spaces that I use almost every week. Uh, if I have a meeting with somebody and they are familiar with Princeton in any way, the first thing that I will suggest is that we meet in Princeton Public Library because more often than not, they will have a space available where we can go and do that work, as opposed to them coming to my space here in Plainsboro, which is not Princeton, and can add an additional um, 
complication to somebody who wants to work with me. I, I can very easily go to Princeton Public Library, get a space. It has strong Wi-Fi. I can sit down there with my laptop and basically do anything that I could do here. So um, that library provides a space and an environment and a culture in which I feel like I can get work done with other people. Uh, the other thing is the technology training opportunities that are available for students. Your, is your eye okay? It'll, it's okay. Uh, so <laughs> there are uh, these technology training uh, opportunities, and people come for free, and they learn about Evernote, and they learn about Arduino, and they learn about Raspberry Pi, and they learn about Inkscape, and they learn about Google Apps, and they learn about uh, browsers and they, they, learn, they uh, learn what's better, iOS or Android. Yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> I don't think that I would participate in that again. Uh, but th there are lots of opportunities for people in that community to broaden their horizons in terms of technology. And for me, as a technology consultant, it's a grand opportunity because I get to meet with people who have a need, who have an interest in what it is that I'm talking about. And more often than not, it ends up with a relationship, a client relationship or a colleague relationship where uh, I am seen as somebody who can reach out to that person or that they can reach out to me and we can have an exchange about how to get work done using technology. And there's a lot of art in that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was uh, if we were to use WordPress with an extension called BuddyPress, we'd be able to build a social networking community that would rival Facebook, except that it would be about some particular topic as opposed to about nothing in general, right? If we think about Seinfeld being a show about nothing, Facebook is a social network about nothing, right? It's, it's about nothing and everything. <laughs> And uh, you could take a portion of that out of Facebook and lay it in WordPress with BuddyPress and have a beautiful, protected uh, social network in which you could have an exchange with people and build upon that community using this platform. Another example is in universities. Um, we have learning management systems. We, in, in Rider, at the time that you and I were there, we had Blackboard, and now they've gone to Canvas, as have many other schools. Uh, and there are open source solutions for learning management systems like Moodle. And the idea is that within the construct of an academic environment, uh, you might want to have an, an electronic equivalent to that social environment where you can have quizzes and you can have exchange and you can have discussions and you can have uh, the ability to present to one another in the same way that you and I are presenting to each other now and presenting to the world, right? Mm -hmm. And instead of having to cobble all that together into a solution of our own, we can rely on learning management systems in order to do that. Um, I recently, in my own work, have been working with Grigstown Farm in order to uh, develop and improve their Thanksgiving ordering system. And while that's not the same as the other things that we've been talking about, it certainly enables 
uh, for people to come together and to uh, make purchases that are related to community gathering. And uh, even that, in fact, is uh, technology related to art, if, if we think about the culinary arts. And finally, I wanted to talk about uh, Reddit and their uh, famous AMA program, uh, their AMA feature, which is Ask Me Anything. And they have celebrities come in and meet with people who love those celebrities and have an opportunity for exchange. And in the same way as everything else in Reddit, if a question is good enough, it rises to the top, right? So I, in my normal life, would never have the opportunity to meet with uh, Louis C.K., for example. But um, through something like Reddit's AMA, uh, if Louis decides to come on and have a conversation with his fans, if I ask a good enough question, that question could be handed to him and he would be able to answer that. And as a result, it gives me an opportunity. It gives me an in uh, through technology that I would never likely have in the real world. So lots of opportunities in the integration of technology and arts in order to build a community. And uh, those are just some examples. How about you? Well, I mean, I guess both of us can talk about this, but I mean, we, we, we've talked about art all night, almost probably every episode of technology in the arts, even though it's only a 24 hour event every year, but uh, just for background, art all night um, is a basically a 24 hour art exhibition, basically. Uh, that uh, takes place in an old uh, machine shop, right? Um, yep. the it's, old, the, it's the place where the Brooklyn Wire Works in Trenton, Brooklyn where the, yeah, the wire was made for um, the, uh, the Brooklyn Bridge and Brooklyn Bridge, yeah. and some other famous bridges. Yep. Um, so it's it bunch of volunteers uh, get together every year and and and. People are asked to submit art, and it's and it's a community thing. It's not – I mean, there are professional artists that submit art, but anyone, anyone in the community, in the area, can can submit works of art, even kids who are just, you know, as they say, refrigerator art. Um, it, it's a – there's no judgment, and it's a really great time. And you have musicians. You have, there's, like, three different stages uh, for music. And there's also a, a you know technology aspect in uh, the film festival, which has been uh, added in the last couple of years. And this year they had the um, was it the silent uh, disco or silent DJ? That's right. Where they had they had the wireless uh, headphones, the headsets that were given out, and there were there were DJs spinning, <laughs> but. No, you, nobody could hear, but the music was being transmitted wirelessly to these headphones. And so you would go into this dark room and people were just, you know, getting down and you couldn't hear anything. <laughs> so it was pretty funny. But um, but that was a, a really cool. Um, you know, technology influenced uh, art project there and um, and they've. And you have the the dueling mural. I mean, that's not really technology, but you have the you know the dueling dueling artists with the murals outside. Um, 
So I'll put a link to our uh, the show we did with uh, Joe Kuzemka. Well, the, the technology part of it, I think, is the recording of it. You know, the fact that everybody is uh, taking snapshots of yeah. artists, for example, and, and video, everything. and yep, and uh, and uh, those those murals are used. Uh, they're incorporated into artworks. The monster uh, is it the monster's ball? Yep. Is that what they're used for? Yep. So, um, yeah. So it's and art all night is a product more or less of artworks. It's, it's kind of its own thing, but um, artworks in Trenton uh, kind of gave birth to it, I guess, in some way, but it's kind of been handed off. Um, And so the murals created at art all night uh, are incorporated into uh, the artworks uh, program. So um, I guess on a related note, it, uh, you know, art as a community service or flipping it around, you know, the community service, there's, uh, you know, there's community art projects, interactive projects um, that happen all the time. I, I think one of our early episodes of technology in the arts when we were in our really raw podcasting days, uh, there was the building in, it was somewhere in Europe, Switzerland or Sweden, I can't remember. Um uh, where you could uh, call in and change the light patterns on a building using uh, you know the way you, you punched in numbers on your phone. And then there was a 2012, in the fall of 2012, there was a, a similar project where uh, you would speak into a, an app, a mobile app, and if you were in the vicinity of, of uh, the Ben Franklin Parkway in Philadelphia, and that would, the, whatever the sounds that you would produce would create these different light sculptures, as they called it, in the sky above the parkway. So, uh, you know, it, it's something where technology is, is allowing for this, allowing the community to interact and also witness this art taking place. And it, it's just another way of exposing people to art that may not have an interest in that, uh, you know, maybe it, it instills some interest in, in the arts. So, you know, it's always cool to see those interactive technology-driven community art projects. And uh, before I mentioned XPN's uh, Musicians on Call program, while the basic program, the bedside performance program, doesn't really have a technology angle, um, it, that's where, you know, they, they have... A, I guess the technology end is using social media and and the website to kind of create this network of of local artists who um, will go volunteer and go to uh, hospital rooms and and visit and play for uh, patients uh, in Delaware Valley healthcare facilities. But a couple of uh, parts of that musicians on call program uh, have a technology aspect to them, and one of which is the, the CD pharmacy program. They, they call it a CD pharmacy. Basically, hundreds of donated new and gently used CDs are used to build CD pharmacies uh, that they put in a dozen healthcare facilities. So it's basically gives them access to all this music 
you know, that they can enjoy at, at no charge, uh, along with the CD players. So they have CD players and the CDs available to them. So instead of drugs, you're getting dispensed CDs. And um, the other uh, part of the program is called Project Playback. And in that, um, a professional musician uh, is paired with longtime residents at a healthcare facility for six to eight weekly sessions. And they will create music with uh, the patients. And once created, they will uh, record the songs, they'll put them on a CD, and they hold a CD release party. And, uh, you know, the patients and their families are, are there. And, and so the, the patient and the musician work together on this on this uh, on this recording. So that's that's a really cool thing I, I thought when I uh, when I read up on that. So I, and I think, of, I think of the two things that you've talked about so far, I'm I'm more interested in the co-creation aspect. Uh, only because the CD pharmacy seems a bit outdated, no? Yeah, I mean I mean right now you could basically have a you know an iPod, this yeah, pharmacy, because <laughs> which is outdated now, since the iPod is is dead, but uh, or at least the iPod Classic, but um, but yeah, I mean you could. Well, not even that. I mean, you know, with the streaming services that we have, couldn't it be that uh, we you could have five uh, concurrent user accounts per hospital at eight dollars a month? that have an entire uh, incredible catalog of music that would be uh, listenable at, at, in, in concurrence, right? So I have my own account, and so I would listen to that if I was sitting in a hospital room. But if I didn't have that account, uh, wouldn't it be interesting for me to have access to a catalog of 40,000 or 100,000 or, you know, a million songs. Yeah, but I mean, even that, even that subscription fee might be, you know, with, with the number of patients involved. I mean, if... I, yeah, but staying in a hospital, you would think, I don't know, that they would be able to afford $8 in a month to cover as many patients as they have for perpetuity. I'm sure it's a legacy program, but I mean, it, it is nice the music is available to them. Yeah, I mean, and then there's people. Uh, I, I suppose you know, at some point, it'll it'll be it'll be brought into the future. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting as an idea. I love the idea of music being used as therapy, but it seems like. And actually, I mean, they don't even need to have a subscription. I mean, XPN has a bunch of free streams on its own that they could. Yeah. For example, but I mean, if I wanted to actually control the music that I listen to, even then, uh, if you had a Google Plus account or a um, any number of accounts, Spotify account, that was available to uh, people who were present through a machine in which they did not have the username and password, but they delivered that content through a laptop. You know, if they had 10 laptops, let's say, and each of those laptops had um, 
an account set up that they did not know the username and password to, they would be able to listen to whatever they wanted to within reason. Right. Right. Um, I, 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 it's so antithetical for me. I mean, I still have CDs actually somewhere, <laughs> but I have not listened to CDs in a very long time. And part of the reason for that is because comparative to Google Play Music or Pandora or Spotify, I, well, Google Play Music and Spotify in particular, um, it's so troublesome to set up any kind of a physical interface in order for me to listen to that when the other options are available to me. I, I can still listen to, let's say, Jimi Hendrix or um, Daft Punk or whatever I want to listen to simply by doing a search on that name and then seeing their entire catalog of music. And yes, it would cost the hospital something, but it just seems like comparative to having to go through the trouble in, in a situation where a, a patient is already probably troubled, what about the simplicity of opening up a browser and being able to visit a site and put in a name of an artist and listen? Well, I mean, I guess then you you have the uh, you have the expense of uh, laptops or or tablets um, or mobile devices, whereas you know you can go anywhere and get a cheap CD player if, if the CD player breaks. Oh, uh, I mean, I, 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 I think I think it's just the expense that's really the the drawback. I mean, I mean, you have to remember, you know, the hospital spends, you know. Five dollars—that's like another thousand dollars we get charged for an X-ray. I mean, that's the way the healthcare system is. Well, that's <laughs> so, a bigger problem. But I yeah. mean, so that—that's why I—I—I—I—I'm kind of leery of the you know the, of the hospital spending more money because I, I think that just messes up the healthcare industry even more. So uh, maybe that's just the workaround. I don't know. But you, like I said, I mean. It it may be upgraded at some point where it will be a, a streaming based. And actually, that's that's part of the next uh, uh, program they have is the Music Heal series, which is um, uh, an on demand um, uh, program. It's a series of audio features that are available uh, for on demand listening. It's uh, XPN morning host uh, Michaela Majun and news director Bob Bob Boombera. And uh, they talk with musicians and therapists and others about the impact music has made in people's lives. So, and there's a there's a link to it that I'll put in the show notes. Um, and there's also resources for mental health and well-being there. So, there's there's some on-demand stuff in that component of it. But I I, I know what you're saying. I I mean, I think it's just a. And, you know, I mean, the other reason why the healthcare industry is messed up because the hospitals are so behind the time. I mean, I saw a link. I didn't read the story, but I think it was on uh, Vox.com uh, that Americans spend more on – this is just the tweet headline, so I didn't read it. But uh, if you want to go check it out, I think it was on Vox.com. But – the headline was Americans spend more on hospital paperwork alone. 
just with you know the time it takes and 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 the money involved in it that goes with the paperwork uh the financial aspect of it spend more on the paperwork than on like sports so like sports tickets and sports uh apparel i mean it's i mean the fact that we're still using paperwork and that hospitals still mess up the paperwork which then leads to another round of paperwork needed and just run around i mean that's why the healthcare industry is such a mess i mean that's one component of it but i mean i've dealt with it i mean i just uh, i did my coverage now through uh, my new employer they sent it in they never got it you know it got lost you know they had to send it again and i finally got my packet but i've been there like four i've been there a month now so you know i'm very uh distrustful of uh the healthcare industry like maintaining computers and a network for streaming media to their patients so i mean i was in a hospital once where you know i was i spent with a friend of mine whose uh, grandfather was in the hospital and you know we heard some people come down from the floor above they were asking for oxygen and nobody was around to bring up and the, and the person died it's like i mean they can't even bother to bring oxygen up one floor i mean how you going to you know get them to reboot a router well this is the issue with physical objects right if if yeah. you give me access to a to a digital object that will help my or improve my sense of being you know what i don't need to go and retract a physical object that will allow me to listen to that same thing right right i don't know there's so much that we can do digitally that is endless i mean they could set up a jukebox that was available to every patient in the library and they might get into some trouble with the RIAA which we've talked about yeah in order to listen to that collection of music but it would be no different than me sharing it with my friends yeah i mean that might be the other issue too i mean that you know we always we always forget how you know heartless and you know uninformed the RIAA is so i mean Like, oh and, and hospitals have money let's go sue the hospitals which would be a wonderful idea morons yeah if we if we were to um for example set up a plex server and make friends of all of our patients then immediately we could share movies we could share music we could share photos we could share all kinds of things uh with a free service right if for example you and i decided that we wanted to share all of the movies and music that we had ever collected we could do that right now legally using plex right and why don't we in fact i don't know because you don't use plex that's why i i do not yeah. but i have other friends who do 
and their collections of movies and music are legally available to me through streaming, right? If I, if I decide to stream from their server, it's really no different than them letting me borrow a DVD for a time. And while I am watching that, they are not able to watch that same piece of media. Is there, is there something going on there? I'm just keeping an eye on a spider. Oh. <laughs> uh, it was a huge one. You, I was down here last week. I think it was the night. Actually, it was, I know, it was after our, um, it was after our uh, webcast last week. I was uh, still down here getting the links together and uh, editing. And this, I mean, I mean, it was so big. It was crazy big. So big. Like, how big was it? The legs were so, like, I could see the, like, it was walking off the, like, I could see space between the ground and the underbelly of the spider. And it was across the room. Like, it had, the legs were so long and so strong that it could lift itself off the floors. And it was scurrying at a rapid pace. So, this this one's kind of just, like, hanging out in its web in the corner, which I, I didn't notice until after we started, so... I, I definitely knew something was distracting you. Yeah, so. <laughs> All right. Uh, there was one other thing I would talk it, it wasn't really a technology thing, um, but XPN also partners with the uh, Mural Arts Program uh, starting in 2004, and they, um, they basically, like, hooked up with different groups and uh, – they did a mural series based on uh, that was influenced by the sounds of Philadelphia. So there was like a connection between actual like visual arts and, you know, music and these, these murals will still are still around. I think the last one was done in 2009, but, uh, but they're still floating around Philadelphia or at least on sides of buildings, you can still see them. So another community arts program but i mean is there anything else you'd like to talk about tonight um i don't know i'm i'm interested about this this idea of holding on to the old method <laughs> in order to uh, meet a new need and so uh, while i'm excited about the idea i i think that work can be done I, I say this because this is the work that I do, right? If yeah, I, I, I understand. Do, I, I understand that. I, I totally understand it. I, I, I agree that there are better ways to approach it now. I'll give you an example. I just don't know if hospitals are the are. It, it doesn't matter who it is. Yeah. I'll give you an example, though. Uh, I recently sat down with a client who I ended up not working with, Um because she wanted some design done for web design and graphic design done for an album launch. And the album launch was uh, music that she had created and recorded. And uh, she was very excited about, and I was excited about too for her. Um, but the way that we started the conversation was that she had uh decided to spend half of her budget on pressing the CDs. And I said, why? And she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, 
that most people don't buy their music through physical media anymore. Why are you spending all that money on physical media when you could probably make more money and we could benefit more if you were just streaming or if you were using iTunes Music Store or, you know, uh, Google Play Music or whatever it is that you wanted to do, Amazon Music. I mean, it's my, my understanding is that CD Baby basically gives you all those options. It, it, you you get, I, I think there's the download aspect, and I, I think if you can buy a physical CD, right, you have to keep sending them more as as they run out of stock. But this, this and and then they also, I think there's also a TuneCast uh, option which allows it to go to. Amazon and, and iTunes store. I'll ask you a question, honestly, because maybe I'm naive. When was the last time you bought a CD? I mean, the only time I buy a CD is when I'm at uh, Princeton Record Exchange. And when was the last time you were at Princeton Record Exchange? Which, mm -hmm. by the way, is there uh, not as a CD store, per se, but really as a vinyl store. Yes, I know, but you know, my stuff isn't really usually on vinyl. So I'm, I'm trying to find these. Your stuff is usually on iTunes. Your stuff is no, usually... No, no, no. There's a lot of stuff that's that, that I love from the 80s that's that's out of print. That's at, that's not available on iTunes. A lot. That's, that's odd to me. I mean, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I mean, at one point I had a list. There is a, there is a producer in a music company out there who is making content only available through CD and not through streaming or licensed uh, electronic delivery methods? Well, well, no. I mean, the music's not available in any format. It's not available on CD or on, on iTunes or, or Amazon. It's just not there. It's just, it's just out of... What is the most likely... What is the most likely streaming... Or what is the most likely delivery method that they would choose if they were going to choose to reissue that content. Oh, it would be digital. Yeah. Well, this woman was making a brand new album, and she was trying to convince me that CDs were the way to go because she was going to be at, uh, at shows, and she wanted to be able to hand something out to people. And, and that's all well and good, but you're basically going to be, you know, you're lucky if you get rid of 10 of those at a show. Not only that, but she could have used a USB key or she could have used a URL, a special URL. Or or you could have just had buzz cards done with like a download code. Exactly right. Either way, any method would have been better than a CD because a CD adds the additional cost of at least a dollar for the media, probably a dollar for the printing, and probably... Keep talking. A dollar for what? I'll be right back. Keep talking. Probably a dollar for the uh, the delivery of the meat. So if you have a case, you're going to be paying for that. If you have printing, you're going to be paying for that. There's a certain beauty to the album art, but as I look at my screen here, my screen is going to show a far more beautiful rendering of any art that you come up with comparative to a CD cover or even an album cover. I can full screen album art.
on my screen. I cannot full screen an album art on a piece of paper. A piece of paper is limited to the resolution that's, that it's limited to. That is correct. By the way, so that was a giant cricket. You know, crickets are, are good. I know, but not in my basement. No, they're perfectly fine in your basement. They're getting rid of pests. They're living their lives. They're just trying to make your life better, really, Brian. Not in my basement. Okay. So, uh... In my basement, they are a pest. My point being that... They can take care of all that nature stuff outside. I, yeah. We're in their way. They're, they are not in our way. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> as long as we have the philosophical portion of the show. Yes. Uh, my point being, though, that I felt like this woman was foolish because she decided to pursue a CD distribution method when it was costing me as a designer and a marketer and a brand management person because she didn't have any money left over because she had to deliver these CDs. And I said, my time is valuable. The CDs are not nearly as valuable. You can do all that for free. The distribution is, is part of your internet costs. And um, so I felt like that was a misstep on her part. And when I could not convince her, we had to part ways. Yeah, I mean, so you said delivery of the CD. What, what, where was she delivering them to? Well, to her shows or possibly to so some. She, okay, so she was just bringing them. I, I, I mean, I, 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 like I said, I mean, I know like with CD Baby, you know, when they run out of stock, you just send them new, you know, more CDs, whatever. But you're, you're going to CD Baby as though that is what she was using for distribution. She's, she was going through some guy who was doing the printing, doing the CD duplication, doing the, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so he probably had a machine that he had to pay for. And she was paying for that machine. But my point is, why are CDs even in distribution anymore? I mean, Apple left it a long time ago. And I don't really see the point of it. If I want music, I don't go to a CD store. I don't go to Barnes & Noble. No. I don't go to uh, – they just closed uh, – I don't even know what the name of it was, but that, you know, you, you don't go to a mall and really find a CD store anymore. Yep. That, you're right. You no, know, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, uh, I, 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 I don't see the need for physical CDs. I mean, unless you're into vinyl, I mean, physical media for vinyl media, that is different. And that is a specialty and probably CDs will return to that specialty niche, but we are not there. We're, we're post CD and pre CD nostalgia. Retro, yeah. When when CDs are retro, then all retro the stores will pop up that are distributing CDs as uniquity items. But uh, right now, 
all of the recording agents who are trying to make money on their back order and back stock of CDs are stuck. And so they still offer these things through Walmart and Target and whatever. You can go into those stores and you can see those sections. But in fact, I don't even think there is a CD section in Target anymore. I, th- I, think, I think there is. Oh, that, actually, that, that was a, uh, again, mentioning 99% Invisible, which I haven't talked about yet. This is the first reference. But there was actually a, a cool episode uh, not too long ago where uh, they talked about, uh, it was an REM CD. I'm trying to remember which one it was. But, you know, back when CDs came packaged in the long box. Yeah. Remember the long box? Yeah. And the record industry, and one of many missteps they've taken over the years, was like all on board with these long boxes because they could fit, you know, in the same space. Basically, you can put two CDs in the space of one album and you could still fit them in the spaces in the old record stores that we just said were obsolete now. But back then, they were like, oh, this is going to save the music industry. There's the long a box. The long box. The packaging. The small packaging was going to save the industry. That's what the, that's what the record industry really thought. There was an op-ed printed about this, about how the long box was like this miracle thing. There are needs for record stores, but they are not the same needs as – uh, ascribed to by the record industry that, that, that they are retro uniquity um, nostalgia industry it, it 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 is a valid industry but it's not you, you can't have 10 of them on a, on a city block it's not like a starbucks oh well here's the thing that, that was interesting about it so they had and this is also this almost ties back into our community service thing because, uh, so it kind of like wraps this up, our whole CD, not CD, whatever, th- that conversation goes back to our original topic here. Basically, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not going to get the details right, so I'll link to the 99% Invisible episode, which is a fantastic podcast, by the way. I agree. I agree. Um, m- much, much better than this one. And uh, uh, so anyway, so REM... I for, and I can't remember which album it was, which CD it was, basically said to the record label, uh, we're not putting our next album out in, if you're going to put it in this long box. We're not doing it. it you know, it, it's ridiculous. It's, it's an environmental disaster. And so the record label and their management, uh, there was, you know, they were trying to figure out what are they going to do? How how are they gonna, you know, make REM happy, and and get the CD out and still keep it in the long box? Even though behind the scenes they were trying to figure out how to get rid of the long box, as they figured this was gonna start being a problem. So, they, at the same time, uh, somebody approached the record industry guy who was trying to figure out this whole REM issue about the motor voter bill, you know, where you would register your motor vehicle and you could uh, 
you know, register to vote at the same time. And, you know, he kept on getting knocked down, knocked down, you know, they, you know, it would always get killed, you know, on its way to passage. And finally, the record industry guy said, how about we connect these two issues? So he said, we're going to put, that was like the whole rock the vote thing, how rock the vote started. They put the, um, like a petition letter on the back of, or as part of the long box, the packaging for REM's CD. And that would get, they would uh, use that to, you know, engage music listeners and, you know, write to their representatives and get the motor voter bill passed. And they went to REM and REM's like, we'd love the idea. Let's do it. So now they had REM on board. They could put out their album and they used it to, uh, you know, have these petitions sent and it became, they, they got so many, uh, uh, responses to Congress. So many of these letters, these, these petitions and everything just snowballed and eventually the motor voter bill passed. And that CD is, it has a lot to do with it. And I can't remember which one it was. I wish I could. But um, so I'll link to the 99% invisible episode about it. But, you know, it because of this CD that led to all these young people now being able to register to vote when they you know, went to the DMV. So that, that is the community service aspect. Very, very nice. Nicely done. Thank you. Thank you, Roman Mars. And 99% invisible. <laughs> I have to get caught up. On, I, I I think I missed like three or four. Uh, uh, it's a thing podcast too that I haven't gotten caught up on. I think I caught all of them, but uh, I'm looking forward to the next season. I hope they continue it. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, anything else? Nope. All right. Well. That concludes this episode of Technology in the Arts. Thank you for joining us. Next Monday night, we'll be back to talk about technology as a creative influence, how the need for features and creative applications influence community development, as well as how technology can directly inspire creation of artistic works. In the meantime, you can stay up to date on the latest happening with the show by visiting technologyinthearts.com, liking our Facebook page, visiting us on Google+, following us on Twitter at tech underscore arts. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel and search for us via your favorite podcatcher. We suggest iTunes, Pocket Casts, or Stitcher. And always remember to go to lamazny.com for your personal or organizational technology and design needs. Until next time, for Technology in the Arts, this is Brian Kelly. And this is John Lamazny. Take care. and views expressed by the hosts of Technology and the Arts do not necessarily represent those of guests of the program. Conversely, the thoughts and views expressed by guests of Technology and the Arts do not necessarily represent those of the hosts. 
For more information about the podcast you have just heard, please visit Technology and the Arts on the web at technologyandthearts.com.